Okay, I just started recording, so you also start recording. Okay, I just started recording. Have, are you started recording? You, oh, I've started recording. Okay, well, I already started recording, too. Everyone, it's Kenyon. I'm feeling just a little bit weird this week. I'm left all alone, um, and so I decided to to just do something different. Invite a guest onto the podcast since I have it all to myself this week, um, and uh, have Jerome actually here with me to talk about his creative process. So enjoy. Um, hello everyone. Hello to everyone out there on the other side, listening at whatever time you might be listening. Um, this is me, it's Kenyon. Um, and I'm here, I'm here and we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, in the spirit of these, you know, creative deep dives that we've really been doing, we did a little deep dive on Beyonce, uh, and we're going to do another deep dive on another iconic individual. Um, Someone who, I mean, musical director, songwriter, teacher, producer, extraordinaire. Um, I have an iconic person with me today in studio at a safe distance, mind you. Thank you very much. Um, I have Jerome Walker. Jerome, welcome. Hey, Queen. <laughs> um We are at a safe distance, and Tommy, too, is at his own distance from us. Is many, um, many thousands of miles between us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've never thought of myself as a producer, but I should. Uh, what do you think you did for that album? I know. That's what I, I'm like, well, <laughs> that is what I did. That's very interesting. But we'll get into the question of, of identities and self-identifications in a minute. Oh, work. In a minute. In a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> It's um, from that cover. <laughs> that cover of Irreplaceable. Um, you're you're really jumping the gun on all I'm the sorry. things I have for you because I mean today I wanna I wanna talk about your creative life. I wanna see where you come from, where you're headed. <laughs> where did you come from? Where did you go? I was hoping you wouldn't go <laughs> in that direction. <laughs> and then I had to just because just just because it was there for me to take. <laughs> Um, and to start off, just to like prime ourselves to be, you know, thinking about, about creating, about our creative Mm -hmm. lives. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to do some questions just to see where, where are you in the, in the creative stars? Where do you align, you know, in the constellation of, uh, of our creative lives? Oh, lovely. Um, and the first question that I actually have for you is about covers. What is your favorite cover my favorite cover of all time um what comes right off the bat uh earth wind and fire got to get you into my life um leanne la havis does an incredible cover of um uh what is that song the moment i wake up um say a little prayer which is itself a cover i forget who did it first but it wasn't Dionne warwick um 
I guess that doesn't make it a cover. It just means that someone else also did a cover. <laughs> anyway, um, those are two really big ones. Um, favorite cover. I'm sh- there are millions. I'm not thinking of. I accept both of those as answers. Okay, well here I and have, we a have question more questions. To you. Oh, okay. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just was gonna. I also am thinking about these. Are really all um, things that, for one reason or another, read negligence did not make it into our favorite live performances episode. I also am thinking about um, Ben Platt saying somewhere at the Grammys. Um, but is it a cover if it's musical theater? You know what I mean? It's like, or is it just, you know, another person singing the song? I don't know. Like, would you say a cover of a jazz standard? Like, a cover kind of has a specific context to it. Oh, wow. Already troubling the very foundation of the questions <laughs> being asked. You all, That's this is me? this is Drumwalker. Um, okay, well... Our creativities really abound. They're 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 boundless. Some by, some might say. <laughs> um, and I think cooking is also creative space. Um, and Ooh. in that spirit, what is your go-to like seasoning or spice? If you only had it, like you could make a meal, and like this this one thing Ooh. is gonna save your dish. I mean, the real answer is salt. I'll be honest. The true answer is salt, but I'm I'm going to instead sit... Well, I kind of have been, like, moving around. Like, I have a couple of different answers. Um, seasoning. McCormick makes this, like, hot Mexican chili pepper something. I don't really <laughs> remember what it's called. But it is so good. <laughs> oh, my God. I put it in literally everything. Um, so that is definitely one. But then if you're going like ingredient, I have to say Rotel tomatoes. They come in a can, they're chopped up. You can get them like with different levels of spice. Like a Rotel tomato will elevate anything like a marinara sauce, a salsa, like girl, everything. That's everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's everything. Rotel tomatoes. We're being sponsored. <laughs> God, I wish Rotel Tomatoes. Okay, okay, okay. Sponsor. Um, acting. You've been known <laughs> to take the stage before. Um, it's true, and so have many other f- fine, iconic members of of the screen and stage. They have also taken to the screen and stage before. I'm not saying anything that <laughs> By makes <definition>. sense. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. You um, haven't said anything wrong. <laughs> thank you. Um, one of these people is our good Judy, Alice and Janney. What's your favorite <laughs> Alice and Janney vehicle? I have been on an absolute Alice and Janney kick. Okay. Um, my favorite Alice and Janney vehicle. Oh, God, I love her so much. I actually have never watched West Wing. Is it, can I even say that I love Alice and Jenny if I've never seen a single episode of Westman? I'm um, just watching it for the first time, I must say. And she's iconic Alice in it. Alice and Jenny. She is a queen. Um, can I give a stupid answer? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, there was a movie that came out last year called Ma. <laughs> and... Uh, 
Uh, it stars uh, Octavia Spencer, who won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Um, and it also also featured in it, in the most bit part, is Allison Janney. Um, now, I understand, and the, let me be clear, this movie is trash. It is not good. Um, it is very, very funny, but I don't think that it's trying to be camp. I really, I really don't know. Like, I really have spent a lot of time trying to figure it out, and I really don't know. Um, I understand Octavia Spencer being in it because honestly, she's serving. Like, she is taking it very seriously and doing it very effectively, even though the movie itself is absolutely cuckoo. But she works at this veterinarian's office, and Allison Janney plays the veterinarian and has maybe four lines. <laughs> um, but Allison Janney, and a lot of like, very like disapproving shady looks at Octavia Spencer as she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. Um, but here's the thing that Alison Janney also is an Academy Award winner for best supporting actress. Um, and honestly, she, it is funny because she was in the movie that <laughs> Octavia won that for the help. Anyway, um, I'm like, Alison Janney, why are you in this movie? Like, <laughs> this movie just have a ridiculous budget? I don't know, but she's really, I don't know. I don't know why she's in it, but I'm glad she's in it. It's the perfect like additional layer onto this movie. <laughs> I just love it so much. Important. Um, in a rapid fire mm-hmm. way, um, what's, what would be your Olympic event? Oh, I would just want to carry the torch. <laughs> Um, do I have to do a sport? No, I would just carry the torch. <laughs> um, what crystal gem are you? Oh, we are the crystal gems. I feel like I'm very pearl in a way that I don't quite want to be. Um, but I'm going to go with of. Well, I guess I'm also Steven. Steven's a crystal gem. I'm Steven. <laughs> Work making yourself the main character. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and last but not least, um, what's your favorite canceled TV series? <gasps> um, it's called Happy Endings. It was on, I want to say, I girl, I immediately knew. <laughs> um, <laughs> I forget what it was on. Maybe like ABC. Um, but it starred, uh, now I can't think of anyone who was on it. I just thought it was really, it was like the new age friends. One of them was black. One of them was gay. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. I would absolutely recommend going back and watching it. I think there are only like two seasons. I can't believe that it got canceled because it was like, it was just really fun. Like it was the Friends format, which you know I love. Famously, you do not feel the same way. But it's like, you know, six friends. They all lived in Chicago. They like, you know, each got up to some cuckoo hijinks. And it like was very fun. I would absolutely recommend Happy Endings. I loved that show. Work, work. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So when my producers came to me and they said, we've, we've secured Jerome Walker for your show. <laughs> we've got him on. Me and my engineer, Tommy, you know, we sat down and we were like, how, how are we going to approach this? How do we want to talk to Jerome about his illustrious career, uh, his creative life thus far? 
Um, <laughs> and we decided that I should take a page out of one of my favorite podcasters' book. Um, if you know me, if you've heard me ever say anything, um, you know that I love the podcast On Being with yeah, Krista Tippett. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> Krista Tippett. <laughs> Krista Tippett. Imagine being like, hi, I'm Krista Tippett. <laughs> That's iconic. Amazing. Brilliant. Um, and she starts off all of her, she doesn't call them interviews, all of her conversations. Um, about, you know, many different topics. She starts them off with a simple question. Um, she's a theologian um, kind of by training and background. And so she asks about the spiritual life of that person's childhood. And so I'm going to be here asking you, tell me about the creative life of your childhood, like early creative memories, influences. Uh, what was there for you? Um, I My mom just recently found, I used to draw a lot. I, I mean, I don't, not like I was like gearing up to be some big visual artist. I think I just was a child and children draw. Like that's something you have kids do. Um, <laughs> and so like I, in like preschool or kindergarten, I can't be older than like, you know, five. There's this one drawing of like, you know, you'd have to like draw something and then like describe it in words. You know, it's kindergarten. You're trying to get kids to use words <laughs> to describe things. Um, teaching them how to use English. <laughs> um, so there is this one drawing that I did of my mom. And you can tell that I am gay because I <laughs> was describing my mom. But it was like, it was like, she is wearing high heels. <laughs> She's wearing a red dress. <laughs> she has beautiful skin. <laughs> she, I should like go back and find it. It's so funny. Very because it sounds on the red like... carpet, like talking into your handheld voice recorder. <laughs> exactly. It, it's, it honestly sounds very like, you know, for someone who was maybe a little bit older, like very late elementary school, like straight boy trying to describe like what he finds attractive but it was just me a tiny gay person talking about my mom <laughs> um, <laughs> being a fashion icon um and she recently pulled out this like kindergarten like yearbook scrapbook type thing that we had to make and like i you know you had to draw in each of these pages anyway so there was a lot of drawing the first thing that kind of comes to mind is there was a lot of like drawing and visual art and i kind of to this day fancy myself a visual artist but not officially i'm kind of like yeah like i am i could do this if i wanted to not like i could like do it successfully but like you know oh we need a graphic. We need a little visual or something. Well, I actually have very good aesthetic sense and design and whatever. Um, so that's like an early thing. Then also in kindergarten, I two things in kindergarten. The first one is that I started uh, taking piano lessons. So I, my piano teacher, what well, I don't, she is still alive, but I do not take lessons with her anymore. Um, but her name is. Uh, Dr. Lavinia George, and she was the organist at our church. Honestly, theological origins. Um, and 
she like had her doctorate in I think like musicology from Howard. Um, and she lived literally around the corner from us. Our church was like 40 minutes away, but she lived around the corner from us. Um, and we started, uh, my sister and I started taking piano lessons. And I remember the first day my dad was like, we're taking you to piano lessons. They didn't ask, they just like had us do it, um, which I'm extremely thankful for. <laughs> um, but at the time I was like, I don't know how to play the piano. And I thought that I was going to have to, like, go and, like, play something in front of people. And I was like, I can't do, like, I don't know how to play the piano. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I was so stressed. Of course, literally the point was that I didn't know how to play the piano. Anyway, that was one thing. The other thing was that we did, you know, each class has to do their play. Each class has a play in the school year. Um, and ours was... I don't know why we loved this book so much, but our kindergarten class, our kindergarten class was called Red Base, and we loved um, the children's book, Anansi the Spider. Yes. Um, we loved it, and so our play was an adaptation of Anansi the Spider that I guess our teacher wrote for us, Stacy Gaddy, love her. Um, she wrote us like this play of Anansi the Spider, and I played Anansi. <laughs> Another and main role for you. <laughs> yes, one of honestly like three lead roles I've played in my life. <laughs> um, but I played Anansi the Spider, and I at the time, you know, I guess I kind of was like outgoing or loud, kind of, but not really, not particularly. Um, and I hadn't, I had only played the piano at that point. You know, I had taken lessons for like a couple months. So it wasn't like people thought of me as like, you know, the musical, artistic, whatever kid. But it's very funny that I, you know, I don't really remember a lot about that at the time. But I do remember like I was the lead. Like I was an Nazi the Spider. And everyone was like, Jerome, you are an Nazi the Spider and you're amazing. And I at the end, at some point in my senior year, I had asked my dad to like write like a little reflection of on me. And the thing that he, his was like very short, it was only a couple lines, but the thing that he, he was like, I knew that you would be a performer from like you being a Nazi the spider in kindergarten, which is just such a like random thing that, I don't know, I, that just feels kind of like, that feels like it was important <laughs> that, you yeah. know. The class that my kindergarten teacher was like, you should play the the lead in this in this play. <laughs> I mean, it sounds important. It sounds like your family was a like a part of your creative life, as I guess they are a part of anyone's creative life as a child. But yeah, actually, very interesting. My there's like a lot of music in my family, although not in my life, I guess. Well, not not exactly. Like, my mom kind of played the piano at some point. She did ballet for a while. She was like a dancer for a while. Um, my dad played the baritone. He played the euphonium in marching band in Work. high school, which we love. Then, like, my mom's dad has sung in church choir forever, and he's like a deep, low bass. Like, oh, 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 oh. So, like, all growing up... 
whenever we'd sing happy birthday, you know, everyone's like, happy birthday to you. And he's like, happy birthday, dear Jay, which we love. Um, (laughs) But then he had a sister who died actually the year that I was born. Now, I'm not saying that like fully it is a reincarnation moment, but she was... She was a pianist. She, like, was a musician. She was a music teacher. Um, I never met her because my my mom was pregnant at her funeral. But people always talk about, like, wow, me and Aunt Evelyn, like, would have been so linked. We would have been, like, so on the same page. Um, But I never met her. But that kind of has always been looming in the background. Then, like, I have, like, cousins on, like, my dad's side of the family who, like... You know, when they were all in college together, they were like, um, they would like write all these arrangements of stuff and like my dad would play with them and they would all play. And my mom was part of like the dance group that would play, that would dance when they were all da- like playing. Um, and now his kids like do a lot of like music stuff in New York, et cetera, um, music, musical theater, et cetera. So there's, it's kind of always been around, um, yeah, it's always been a like I've always been able to like point to like these various things in my family that were like, oh yeah, like music is it kind of just always felt like music was important. Like mm. it was important to like be doing things and like to be involved in music and ensemble whatever. Um even though like my like my dad does not continue to play <laughs> like the euphonium. Right, right. But I don't I don't know if he did ever after like high school or college, but um like, it just was something that they thought was important. I mean, they put us in piano lessons. They were like, this is something that, like, you should do. Is that somewhere, is, like, the musical life of your family somewhere where you draw any inspiration? Or or even just, like, your own musical taste? Like, how did your family's listening habits or other cultural habits, like, in, inform your taste? Um, I mean, you know, it's the water that you swim in. Um, and so it definitely... I mean, (laughs) I've talked before about my thing with the Beatles. Just that, like, my... (laughs) Not to rehash, but... um, What I mean to say is that we listened to a lot, a lot of music growing up. We were always listening to music. Um, My parents love funk. My parents love funk, and so we would listen to, like... I have these memories of like me, my sister and my dad, like listening to Chocolate City by Parliament Funkadelic. And we would like cast all of our family members as like playing the different instruments on the track. So it would be like, oh, like our grandmother is on like the big organ, but like (laughs) our cousins are like playing the horns. We were like, (laughs) so that's kind of just an initial like, I don't know, that's cemented in yes, they're like all these instruments are playing on this track, even though, you know, you wouldn't think of like, I don't know, like popular music and think organ or, you know, horn section or whatever. But like that just has always been a part of like, I love more and the more instruments, the better. Like I'm here to listen to, to all types of stuff. Um, my mom is also like a, she loves Jay-Z. She, she's like a big like rap stan, but like 90s rap. Yes. <laughs> I don't really know like where that is from, but like she loves that. And so that has always kind of been, I've always had an appreciation for that. Um, 
on top of general, like, I don't know, music that the black people that I was around was were listening to. So thinking about, like, R&B and thinking about, you know, um, soul, Motown, etc. Um, but then I went to this private school, this, like, predominantly white private school from third grade to my senior year of high school. Um, and that kind of opened up this whole other side of it for me that, like oh, there's also, like, folk, and there's, like, you know, all this pop music, and, like, who is Britney Spears? <laughs> and, like, you know, kind of getting into this other side of, like, I don't know, whiter music. Like, I, I kind of have always listened to poppier, more mu- more pop, more folk, more, like, musical theater than the rest of my family is interested in. Um, and I, that definitely feels like because of the people around me at mm-hmm. school. But honestly, recently my mom and I have been having this thing of going back and forth and talking about like music that white people would listen to in the 80s. <laughs> so it's a lot of like Fleetwood Mac, a lot of like Chicago, the band. Like we just will go back Work. and forth and be like, oh, like, do you know this one? Um, Everybody wants to rule. The- and we'll like <laughs> listen to these, uh, you know, very don't stop believing, et cetera. Wow. And it, but we never, my mom and I never talked about that when I, when we were growing up. <laughs> it is like a very new thing. That's so cool for me to imagine, just having known you in different capacities for however long we've known each other. Um, just to like imagine, like the, imagine the atmosphere that you were growing up in and like the things that you were hearing. Um, it makes me think about like, about collaboration when you're talking about um you know, casting your different family members in a band <laughs> that you all, you know, yeah. be listening to in the car or something. Um, and I want to talk about collaboration, um, but later on. First, I, how are you, and how are you dealing with, and what's on your mind um, right now? I mean, it's September in the year 2020. Various things are on fire, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> Correct. Um, like, like, just where are you creatively now? Um, I think a lot about how... So I I started off classical piano. That was like the thing that like... That was like where I began musically. Um, but I have always been more drawn to, honestly, collaboration. To like making music, doing things with other people. Whether it's like in chorus or in theater or in a cappella group or whatever, like I just enjoy it more when I am doing it with other people. Um, to the point where like <laughs> my poor music teacher, Dr. George, like really, I think had great aspirations for me to like be this classical pianist. But I mean, you know me, I'm not going to sit and like practice the same <laughs> piece for hours and hours just to like by my son. No, 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 no. Not if the goal is, the end goal is like to be able to play it in front of other people. It's just not, I don't know. I don't think I really have the discipline for it, but also like that does not really drive me. Like I I don't really feel inspired by like, oh, I'm going to like master this piece and get it under my fingers and Mm -hmm. like be able to like just do it and and lay it out. that gets back to like where I feel like I am right now because <laughs> I 
I don't know. I am not that person. I kind of am jealous of people who are like that because I feel like then quarantine is like <laughs> the best time. Like I am such like an extrovert who like needs to be talking to and in conversation with other people such that like having spent all this time alone, like I wish that, and I said that I was going to do this at the beginning of quarantine. I was like, Oh, I'm going to like really get back into playing the piano and like really get back into like practicing and like, like getting really good at that craft. Um, but it just is not, I just have been so like, I'm so low energy if I'm not around other people. I'm mm. so low energy if I cannot like immediately bounce things off of other people. And I am constantly sending you and many friends like voice memos of like, oh, I was just thinking about this thing. And like, what do you think about this? Or like, have you seen how like these things like are similar or line up or whatever? Or did you ever notice this thing about the song that we like? Um, I just like have to be doing it with other people. Um, I also am <laughs> certainly a musical theater queen. Um, and it is musical theater is a weird type of thing that like, I mean, so many types of entertainment, so many types of music making can be seen kind of as, frivolous I don't like saying that but like you know not essential in a time when we're thinking about you know essential workers etc but also when we're thinking about like you know like an incredibly important presidential election or like police brutality it's like when you're thinking about things that like when you're thinking about like access to health care and like voter suppression like when you think about and you know the the death and destruction of our environment like when you have stuff that feels like so weighty and so like directly related to people's like health and safety and like lived experiences, like how can you spend any time thinking about like music? You know, it just is very easy. It has been very easy this year to feel like the thing that I do is, is just not that important. Like there's just so much other stuff happening in the world that like feels so much more urgent and feels so much more important. Um, especially as like, you know, when you think about singing choral music that like, you know, was written a long time ago or like even if it is contemporary and has like contemporary themes, like what is, you know, what really is the benefit of like, oh, we got together and sang something or like working on a musical theater piece or like working on a on writing something and being like what is the point of this like made up story you know um and i know that the point is like it's the reason why i like it the reason why i do it in the first place which is that like you know that being exposed to other people's humanity and like doing something together in community with other people. Like that is what makes us human. That is what makes, that is what has brought like <laughs> humanity any success in the past is like collaboration and working together and like being able to appreciate like the people who, who we are with. And so like trying to remind myself of that, but like it sometimes is hard. <laughs> it is very easy Absolutely. to be like the thing I do doesn't matter. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm thinking you brought it up musical theater. You brought up classical piano. You just brought up choral music. Um, and in the context of like culture, uh, you know, being a, being a cultural producer maybe yeah. um, versus as you're saying, you know, 
these other other pressing issues that are really directly affecting people's health and safety, do you find how do you identify yourself? Like how do you, as a as a creative person, like do you say I'm a musical theater artist? How, do you find that's even productive to say like how do you <laughs> where what do you find that you know creating any boundaries or like play spaces for yourself? Is that something that enters into your process? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about calling myself a writer recently or like in in the past year. <laughs> um <laughs> Because I write music, um, so that's writing. Um, I write musical theater, which feels like the projects that I've worked on, I work with Noah Parnes, who writes plays and like writes the book. Um, but I, we spend a lot of time thinking about like, you know, how the story works and how to put it together and like which element should be introduced when, whatever, which all feels like, you know, writing, constructing. Um, we make this podcast together, um, which feels like writing in its own way, even though it's not like scripted at all, but thinking about like putting together content and like, you know, creating something, Mm. um, I have honestly been, I honestly shouldn't say this because I, well, I'll talk about it in a second, but I want to, (laughs) I want to write more nonfiction. I want to like write more essays. It is something that like, I like writing thoughts. Like I like having thoughts and piecing them together and like having evidence, et cetera. Um, And it's something that I'm just in my experience of like, you know, writing things for class that I have kind of enjoyed like in, and that I don't want to say it comes easily to me or maybe it does, but maybe it doesn't come easily in a way that is <laughs> good. I don't know. But like, I, I don't know. I've been wanting to write more. The reason why I've said that I shouldn't say that is because like, do I do that? No, I don't now. But like, maybe in the future. I don't know. It's something that I've been thinking about more in like the last couple of weeks. There are so many things in, in that, that I wanted (laughs) to ask about, but something you said at the very end about the, you know, I don't want to say that because do I do it now? Mm -hmm, No, mm -hmm. I feel like it's a very, I found that sentiment rise up in me too. When I'm like, yeah, I'm a composer and it's like, okay, well, Where's your body of work, Kenyon? You know, it's like, right? How right. do you how do you feel about being being your age, being like at the beginning of of more towards the beginning, hopefully, than the end of a creative life? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like how like how does that feel? <laughs> um, I think about this a lot, and I'm trying to like one. I'm trying to have an appreciation for like how much more time that there is. I think that there's a, I feel a pressure to in kind of the spaces that I've been a part of to like do the most as soon as possible and like really get the things done and create and create and create. Um, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I have not always, that just kind of feels like too much pressure to like be having to make something all the time. Um, that I actually would 
like to create a life where I can continue to make things for a really long time. Um, I also have been, there's kind of an instinct to compare Mm -hmm. um, and to look at like, oh, well, look at this like young person, whatever that means, um, who has like created a thing or made this music or made the written this thing or like made this podcast or whatever. First, there's a lot of like, oh, I'm a young person and they're a young person. So I'm comparing myself to them. And I've noticed that like a lot of the people that I'm like comparing myself to or like saying, oh, well, they've done X, Y, and Z and I've only done X. It's like, okay, that person is like six or seven years older than me. So it's like, you know, it does not, it's very apples and oranges or like apples to apple trees. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like that comparison, it's not serving me. Right. Um, but also like, I, I think what I like about calling myself a writer or like knowing that there are things that I want to do, things that I want to try that I haven't done yet is like pushing me to still work and, and get to them Mm -hmm. and that it doesn't feel like, Oh, I have to do it now and it has to be good now. It's just like, here is like, Oh, here's a thing that I'd like to try at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've, recently been like oh my god i should do stand-up comedy it's like i should just try a bunch of things i should try to write non-fiction essays i should try to do stand-up comedy i should try to i don't know like it's funny that i said that i don't think of myself as a producer that's something that i've been thinking about in the past year like i would like to be better at like mixing and editing and correcting and like creating a like final piece of music that's something that i feel like i don't have a lot of experience in. Um, and I would like to, (laughs) and like there's time to like try that out and, and get into it. For sure. Before we just spend all of our time talking about, (laughs) you know, the, the things that, that are in the future, I want to bring up some of the great work that you've already done. Um, and you, you brought up Noah Parnes, um, who is your, is your writing partner, um, on, this brilliant musical, everyone. Um, <laughs> it's called What Comes Next, and I was really lucky enough to be a part of the first um, semi-stage reading of it um, back in 2019. Um, yeah. And you're in the midst of, you know, doing rewrites and revisions of that, I think, right now, yeah? Yeah. Um, yes, and not to give too much away about our recording schedule, but we were recently talking about um, like creating versus revising, like writing versus editing. And I now am in a heavy like editing stage, like taking stuff that like I've written in the past and saying like, what about this is good? And what about this is bad? And trying to rewrite and correct and like make every, like heighten every thing about what it is. but yes, working on currently working on that, <laughs> um, and that just that feels. I mean, the the project is. You talk about experimenting. You say you want to try things out. The project feels kind of yeah. experimental in some ways, um, in terms of like what it does with time. I don't want to give away, you know, just everything about the show um, before you all <laughs> no, see it I, on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> I think something that's that I love about the show. I'll explain in a second, but it that it kind of gives away it gives it all away that's something that i wanted to play around so the show is about a family um 
mother, daughter, older sister, younger brother. Um, and it takes place over the course of three years um, on the brother's birthday. We will, we have had plant, longstanding plans to bring Noah on and the three of us talk and Kiki and whatever, and that's still going to happen. Um, but here's the, the primer, is that it takes place over the course of three years on the son's birthday, um, on his 17th, 18th, 19th birthdays, but on his 18th birthday, he dies in a car accident. And then the show opens on his 19th birthday, then we see his 17th birthday, and then we see his 18th birthday. Um, and we really, I don't know, I wanted to play, like, you know, you talk about, you just said, like, oh, I don't want to give it all away. Kind of by nature, like, there are no spoilers, right? Like, <laughs> from the very beginning of the show, or from almost the beginning of the show, like, you know what has happened. And so by the time you get to the end of the show, it's not like a surprise that, you know, that Max has died because we know that, like, that has already happened when we start watching the show. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, I love musical theater. I love, like, looking at form and looking at things that already exist and then taking the thing that already exists and, like, doing something different with it. Almost to the point where it, like, kind of starts as conceptual and then like becomes realized. Um, it's something that when I would be arranging things for acapella group, um, I would say this to you all the time. I would be like, oh, this arrangement is like a mixture of these three other arrangements that already exist. Um, like I love the way that this thing works in this way and I love how that works in that way and I want to like you know, take the best of these things and, and make my own thing with it. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of feels like that. Absolutely. Um, as you're in this like heightening revision editing stage, how, how do you think about feedback in general? And how do you think about it in this project? Like, do you listen to it? Do, do you look, <laughs> you seek it out? Um, what do you make of it? Like, where does it go? Um, I mean, this is the question, right? Um, I think that I am trying to create music that functions in front of an audience. Um, I'm trying to create something that happens in front of an audience versus like, you know, I think everything has audience in some way. Um, but like if you're making an album that like you want people to listen to, you do that like they're going to stream, for instance, then you don't have to. I don't know, it, you are a step removed from the audience in some way. Obviously the audience is going to, like people are gonna to listen to your music, but in musical theater at least, it's like there are people on stage and they are in front of an audience. And so like it has to read to the audience like when it happens um, or it has, you know, it has to be effective in some way as it happens. Um, and so I do actually try to, get feedback from friends, from people just to be like, is this making sense to anyone other than me? <laughs> right, um, right. Because that, I mean, that's the, if I want something to be effective to an audience, to a room full of people who are all not me, a room full of different people, then like, I want to know as I am working on it, if that's happening. And I of course can have my best bet as to like, what is going to be effective. Um, but it is definitely helpful to know, like, 
you know, this works, this doesn't work. Oh, maybe this was a cool idea in my head, but as it happened for someone else, it sounded busy or it sounded, or it didn't make sense or it was confusing in some way. Um, that's actually really, I find that to be really important information. Um, but I <laughs> recently I've been working on this, uh, working on rewriting this song that has a like a bridge section that like I just have never been able to get quite right um and it is frustrating when it's like well some something of this has to work like why hasn't this worked yet <laughs> like I keep trying mm -hmm. and why and especially like the rest of the song like I really love and like that's why I want the bridge to be really good um but like I am putting it in front of people and they're like oh yeah like this still needs work. This still needs help. This still needs right. tweaking. Um, and that's frustrating. <laughs> um, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Where does the, like, where, how do you stay in it? You know, like the, the mm -hmm. doubts, they do be do ba come, <laughs> they come, <laughs> the doubts come. Um, and, especially in like a revision and editing process when you've talked about the conceptual side of your work and like how the kind of the bending and the remixing almost element of that um, yeah. is really interesting for you. Like how do you, how do you like see through the process of revision? What motivates? I feel very lucky now to have, um, <laughs> to have a lot of time. Like I'm not working under a time pressure. If I were working under a time pressure, it would be, well, it would be different. It honestly would be easier in some ways because it's like, well, and this is how I, you know, <laughs> exactly. It, this is how the um, show happened the first time was that like we had a date when, you know, we had dates that the show was going to be and there was a week of rehearsal. And so it's like, you've got to get the material to the people before we start rehearsing. <laughs> and so it kind of was like, okay, this is good enough. Like I have to move on because there's other stuff to work on. Um, the process of revisiting it now is great because it's like, there's so much more to like, I didn't have the time then to like spend two weeks just trying to make a song work and just trying to like figure out the perfect parts to it. Um, but at the same time, like all that time is so tempting like it is so tempting to be like, I am just going to work on this forever and ever until I get it right. And like, that's what your brain thinks because your brain kind of, uh, my brain kind of is like, yeah, it's not going to take that long, but sometimes it just does. <laughs> like Sometimes it just does take a while to like find the right idea. Um, and so I need to make myself take breaks. I need to make yeah. myself like I'm, I have really like thrown my brain at this for like three days straight. Um, and I either I'm hitting a wall or I'm bumping up against the same things and like kind of throwing the same solutions at the same problems and that isn't getting me anywhere new. And so I need to like take time away and come back to it with fresh ears. What does a break look like for you? Um, literally anything else. <laughs> it could be making of food oftentimes it's like i mean this kind of gets back to i love that you called it remix because i think that that kind of is how i think about it like taking ideas and forms that already exist and like using them in my own way um almost like this is such a goofy 
com- metaphor, but like um, there is this show on Food Network called uh, Semi Homemade with Sandra Lee, where the premise is like she, you know, it's semi homemade. She like uses store bought ingredients. It's not like the Ina Garten, right? Like everything absolutely fresh and made from scratch. Um, and I kind of feel like I feel sometimes like that's how I write music that it's like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of this element and a little bit of this song and a little bit of this form and put it together with my own little something. And then like now it's its own thing. Um, so sometimes I'll be like, okay, like, you know, taking the bridge of this song that I've been working on, I'll be like, okay, I want to, go and listen to music that like has listen to songs that have bridges that sound really distinct from the rest of the song and like how does it work why does it work like what are the specific parts of it that like you know give it the effect that I want it to have mm-hmm. um is it borrowing a melody from earlier in the song but over a different chord progression or accompaniment or whatever is it you know keeping the same chord progression, but putting it in a different time signature or, or tempo or whatever. Um, so trying to like really focus on like the craft of other people, like how did other people make this work? Right. Um, but sometimes it's like, I need to just go like watch movies for two days and like just do something totally different and then come back to it and be like, wait, what does this song sound like (laughs) that I made two days ago? (laughs) For sure, for sure. Um, I there's there's just too much to be talking about, and we're just gonna have to do this <laughs> many more times, actually. Um, but I want to talk about like as you work with words um, and work yeah. with story and narrative, um, and talk about taking forms and talk about remix, talk about bending. Where do you see that ending up? Like, what what types of stories are you trying to tell? Um, like, do you see implication impact, um, places that you want to want your, your work to reach or to touch or to talk about? Yeah. Um, I do think that I try to write about stuff that I know, even if it is not like specifically about experiences that I personally have had, I do try to write about like you know, feelings that I've had or like, you know, a, a type of issue, a type of problem, if, if, even if it's not like I'm writing about the exact thing that like I went through. Um, I'm a person who thinks like very thematically, um, like the theme of community has been a big one for a couple years now. Um, and so like I, I do try to tap into those types of things. Um, Often when I'm writing words, I kind of get stuck in this thing of like, like lyricism for lyricism's sake, like, you know, oh, like I used a really cool word and like made it rhyme with this other word and like, look at how I did that. But then I will look back at it and be like, people don't talk like this. And so this is not useful to me. (laughs) Like, I want there to be a um, vernacular to my mm-hmm. work. I want to make stuff that sound that doesn't sound like removed from day-to-day life. I don't I don't want to make something that sounds extremely heightened or right. seems extremely like abstracted. Um that's something that I really 
try to prioritize. And when you talk about that, I mean, that that sounds like accessibility to an audience for me. Um, yeah. And that makes me just think about also when you mentioned, you know, community as a theme in your work, how I have gotten to see some of those things show up in in not just the work itself, but like in the process of making it. Um, and the inclusive productions um, being being mindful and wary of of what stories are um what stories lend themselves to being told by what people um yeah like being a, a you know a self-proclaimed writer like who do you get to write in to the to the yeah. story um and i think i mean just being like just being on um you know that reading of what comes next i felt like i got to see parts of that the theme come into the the process of the work. And I'm wondering, you know, is that intentional? Um, not really just is that intentional, but like how, how do you think about that? How do you go about that? Yeah, it is a, um, you know, musical theater is like, is, is a white world. Um, and it is a white gay world, <laughs> kind of. Um, but it's a, a white world. Um, as in, you know, there has only ever been one, um, only one black person has won the Tony Award for Best Original Score, Charlie Smalls for The Wiz. Um, and, like, when you look at, like, black winners for Best Play, I think there are two, like, it, it is a world that, like, is so exclusive in that way, Um and I, I don't mean to say that it is easy for gay people. I think that for some gay people it is in some ways. It's pro- It may be easier for, like, white gay men as, like, writers or composers or directors than it is for, like, queer actors. Um, but I think that um, it that doesn't make sense to me because it's, like, this space is, like, so good at illuminating stories and like illumin like bringing you into the mind and the lived experience of like of someone else um and so why aren't we using this as a tool to like lift up more stories that are different um yeah i i think that you know seeing this is no shade at like a dear evan hansen but like seeing a dear evan hansen come up and a next to normal and a, you know, you can just go down the list of like, yeah, like white people in suburbia is a story that we have touched on already. And that's not to say that there isn't something unique and brilliant about those shows. It's just like, there is even more that we can do. Um, there are a lot of, a lot of people there were, I had friends who came to me after seeing what comes next and being like, Oh my God, this is like such a, such great portrayals of queer people. Like this, this is a show that is about, that has queer people in it. And it's not like, you know, fetishizing their queerness or centered on their queerness or whatever. It, it just is like, these are queer people who like inhabit this world. And honestly, like, I mean, it's something like I knew that I wanted, Noah and I knew we wanted queer people to be in the work, but because we are queer people, you know, and it wasn't like I'm setting out to like make a thing that is the perfect representation of queer people right. or whatever. 
it just was like, you know, that's who we are. Like that's, that is a lived experience that we bring to this. Um, similarly, it like was important to me that not everyone on stage was white. And also that that was a part of how the show was written. That like, we weren't just writing these like blank canvas, anyone can play them characters, but that like, you know, there's one particular line where, um, one of the characters, the sis, the older sister, she has a boyfriend who says something kind of degrading to her. And as it's written in the show, it's, he says, you're like my little Michelle Obama. Um, which obviously is very whack. <laughs> and like, there's a moment of her, her family being like, what? <laughs> um, but as we're rewriting it, we're like, I think there's a note in like the casting notes. That's like, Noah wrote it, so I'm not going to say exactly, I'm not going to remember exactly what he said, but it's like in the original production of this show, um, Ellie was played by a black woman, and so whatever, like that line should be changed to be specific to whoever is playing that role. Right. Um, but I think it's really important that like, I don't know, it's like these are, it, it comes back to that like vernacular nature. Like I want to write about the people that I see. I want to write something that is relatable to like people that I know. Um, and I think that I, and I also think that it is that musical theater is such a great opportunity to like be bringing people into lives that they might not know themselves. Mm -hmm. That like feels like the point, you know, like that's why we have this form. Right. I mean, that makes me think back to the beginning as you talk about, you know, vernacular writing um, and then the world that you see, I think back to your family and like casting yeah. your family in the music that you're listening <laughs> to. Um, and like you, you just the concept of family as it includes for you, you know, the queer people that are a part of your life. Um, you know, the, in terms of like, well, who's Jerome writing to? Um, I, I have down this picture of, of like a really expansive but very also accessible, like sort of like family that you're like, here are the people in my life. I'm writing to you who I know, I know and love. Um, yeah. And I think that's beautiful. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I just, uh, I needed more time. That's what I needed. Um, because we just, we could just talk for, for days on this. And you know what? We will come back to this. Um, as we exit, I just, mm -hmm. I, I, I want to know, like, if you could say one, two, three things to your, like, you know, baby creative self, um, mm. like, what would you say? What, what do you know now that you'd be like, okay, Jerome, just like, know this. Um, I would say, I think a general, like, just relax and, like, trust your instincts, which is, uh, I'm, I'm going to say more about that because it's kind of just, you know, everyone always is like, you got it, dude. Like, <laughs> if I would say anything to myself, it would be keep on keeping on, like, you know, but right. I think that. I spent so much time 
in like in spaces trying to do things where there were not other people who looked like me or were like me trying to do the same things. I think about like being in high school and like trying to like do a lot of theater, but like there weren't a lot of black people doing theater at all. Um, and there just were not a lot of like queer men in my high school. Um, and so like the like masculinity that was like prioritized or whatever was like, that was, that was honestly the word that's coming to mind is worshiped. And that's what I'm going to use <laughs> um, is like, was a masculinity that like wasn't the type of wasn't who I was. And so I would like, you know, I would watch like Kurt Hummel on Glee and be like, that is fierce. Like that is what I like. I want to bring some of that energy or like, you know, looking at Beyonce or looking at Bernadette Peters or whoever and being like, that's what I want to bring. Like that's the energy that I want to bring and not knowing how to, and feeling like hemmed in that I couldn't do that. Um, and so to that version of myself, I would say like, like it is okay that maybe this isn't what other people are doing, but like follow through on that instinct. Like don't try to like do half the way you want to do it and half the way that everyone is saying to do it. Like follow through on like, if you want to be like the fierce diva, then like, Go off, sis. Like, you've got to be fierce. Um, or thinking in, like, college, like, studying music in a very, like, white Western classical space. Um, or even, like, in musical theater where, like, most of the people were white men. Just knowing that, like, it is okay to have a different process from these other folks. It does. There's no shade to them and how they work and, like, whatever. Um, and I certainly learned a lot because, you know, you learn from people who function in ways that are different from you, but like that it did not mean that like, I have to find the same things important that these people find important. I do not have to like work and write and prioritize the same things that like these people do. And just like knowing that and like knowing that that's okay and getting over that part of it. <laughs> so it's like, I'm still going to do the thing that I want to do and like, like write the music that I want to write, but like there's stuff that I can learn from you too. Cause you're doing something different. Um, and I just, you know, wish that I had learned that earlier on that being said, like I'm sure I five years from now, <laughs> 2025 Jerome is going to say the same thing to me now. <laughs> so like, I also want to like know that now <laughs> that kind of gets back to the, like, you know, being an extremely young person and there being hopefully lots of time to come and like not feeling pressure to like get it absolutely right right now or like to have had it figured out already or whatever. Right. Um, well, I'll have my producers call 2025 drums <laughs> so we can get another one of these on the books for them. Yeah. I hope he's booked. I hope he is like really, <laughs> I hope there's no time in the schedule. Wow. Well, thank you for coming and sharing. Um, I love it. I love you. Love your show. This was my show, but I love your show as well. <laughs> and I love this show. That is your show that I'm on right now. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, divas. We Love That is brought to you by Kenyon and Jerome. 
Our music is by Sophia Campomore and our art is by Griffin Keller. And please drop us a line at we love that podcast at gmail.com.